Yo, what is up? This is Hal in Philly, and welcome to my podcast. Today is the first of three episodes in a row featuring women road warriors in honor of International Women's Month on Tales of the Road Warriors! And this is a direct quote from the International Women's Development website. Quote, We celebrate all women in all their diversities. We embrace their facets and intersections of faith, race, ethnicity, gender or sexual identity, or disability. We celebrate those who came before us, those who stand beside us now, and those who will come after. It's a time to celebrate the achievements of women, whether social, political, economic, or cultural. Unquote. Are men welcome too? Of course, International Women's Day is a time for everyone, regardless of gender or gender identity, to celebrate the progress that women have made toward equality and remember how much further there is to go. Male allyship, especially when men are prepared to use their privilege to support gender equality, is a welcome amplification of women's voices. I was talking to a female friend of mine recently about how men are completely in the dark about the vast difference in perspectives and problems that we have. First of all, as a man, when I leave work or go to the store or walk back to my car after leaving a restaurant or bar, I rarely, if ever, look over my shoulder to see if somebody's following me. I don't have to worry that I'm wearing something that sends a message that I want you to put your hands on me. And in fact, most men would probably welcome it if an attractive female at work gave us a back rub without asking. But we never stop to think if unwelcome touching is appropriate where women are concerned. See, because it doesn't work the other way around. You know, in the age of the Me Too movement, we have to be a lot more aware. I was just talking to a female friend of mine who pointed out another thing that's common with women in the workplace, attribution. It plays out like this. There's a room full of men and one or two women in a meeting, in a boardroom. Everyone's throwing out ideas for new products or policies, and one of the gals will come up with a brilliant suggestion, maybe multiple times for weeks or months. Then one day, one of the bosses or maybe one of the guys competing with her for a promotion will make the very same suggestion, and all the other guys will nod their heads and agree that it's pure genius, like they're hearing it for the first time. And the female employee will be like, I've been saying that for months. Yes, it happens to men too, but more often than not, it's a man's world. So men, just be cognizant of your privilege and don't abuse it. Today, my guest is Toby Lightman. In our brief talk, we touched on another problem men never experience, the struggle to have a child. Though a man can share some of the emotional baggage and weight of this struggle, We can never know the physical and internal anguish the woman experiences. Toby recently captured this in her song, Begin Again. I had no idea what the song was about going into this conversation, so you'll hear me getting woke in real time. Unfortunately, this is a very brief interview because of operator error. Uh, Yeah, I screwed up. I'll go into more detail later. For now, let's just jump into it with Toby, shall we? So, Toby Lightman, I missed your life, you know. Full disclosure, we are related 
your your dad is my first cousin, and uh, yeah. I never really got to know you growing up. So I discovered your music just like everybody else did. By the way, your new song, "Begin Again," I listened to it over and over, oh. and it's uh, very compelling. I'm I'm not quite sure what it's about, but it sounds like there's a a deep story there. Yeah. Well, it's basically, I wrote the song a couple years ago with a friend of mine and I had just gone through a miscarriage and was very confused by that whole emotional ride. And we wrote this song, just, he kind of guided me towards it. And I had this idea and I had the music and I play guitar and I just was on the phone with him and we just kind of, I just started rambling and he kind of guided me a little bit and uh this is what came out and i was kind of intimidated by it because it's very vulnerable it's very like honest and open about something very specific for me and so i wasn't sure if i wanted to release it and then unfortunately i had to go through the same thing again recently and it made me think okay i think that we need to release a song (laughs) because it's really beautiful and i think a lot of people from being open about fertility struggles with my fans, a lot of people have found that it makes it easier to talk about. And I've had a lot of people approach me and saying that they feel really great about me being open about it. And so it just motivated me to release the song. Well, you've definitely cleared up a lot of the mystery because to be honest with you, I did not know the song was about that. And I knew you had been struggling, but, and I, didn't even put two and two together. I thought it was about a relationship. And I'm thinking, you know, she's so good at writing songs about relationships, even though she's in a, in a happy one herself. And I, and I know people that can do that, too. You know, they'll take somebody else's story and write a song about it and make it their own. And it never even dawned on me that that was about your struggle with fertility. So I'm, I'm glad we brought that up. Yeah. Well, I think ultimately, you know, a song... You try, you know, when you're feeling emotional, you tend to, well, at least I tend to use very general terms, you know, of how you're feeling. You're not specifying the the cause. You're just kind of like, I feel sad. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I knew it was about something specific, but but I thought, well, given that it's not about you, which Mm -hmm. obviously now that I know the story, it is about you. But I thought, well, maybe since you co-wrote it. You were helping them bring out their story. Yeah, I mean, most of the songs that most of the songs that I put out for me are are usually about me. I mean, just because it's it's a lot easier to write about your own emotional journey wherever you're at. You know, happy, sad, funny, whatever. Having a, a really good friend, I have a couple really good friends that are songwriting partners of mine, and you know, in certain moments, it's good to have that guide that person that knows you so well and knows what you're trying to say and and can help kind of get it to that place that they know you're trying to to go and so that's kind of how that song happened but you know I have other songs like I have a song called better that I wrote about my nephew and my sister's journey to have my nephew and some people think it's a love song to just another guy (laughs) you know it can't hurt to leave songs up to others interpretation because you, you take out of it what what you want and then but uh I, my favorite song of yours is the river from your first album the river okay yeah. 
I, like I don't that. know why, but I just I like the progression. I like the lyrics. You know, I like that. But you're going in. It's all there for me. Yeah, I mean that is obvious. I mean, if anybody listening to this and then wants to go and listen to it, it's basically just about you are your own maker. In my opinion, if you want to be doing something in your life, you have to go and be the one that does it. And people can only take you so far to help you. And then eventually you have to take over. And so that's kind of what that song is about. But I didn't write that guitar lick. I didn't know how to, I knew how to play things like that, but I I didn't write that. My co-writer had that lick. And uh, so we kind of wrote the song about around that guitar part, but I love that song. It's a great song. Yeah, I always thought if you back in the day when they had forty fives, if I was going to have a B side to uh, your uh, Devils and Angels, I would be like the river's got to go on the other side of that. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a cool song to record too. We had Jerry Leonard play um, electric guitar on it, and he played with da- David Bowie at the time. So he was like a really experimental guitar player, this little Irish guy. And he came in with like this gear that I'd never seen before. And he used what's called a chaos pad where he would like play a guitar chord and let it ring out. And then he would take his finger and basically draw on like what looks like a mouse pad and make the guitar sound do all this crazy stuff. It was he really probably neat. found it at the NAMM show. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you know, I discovered David Bowie. You know that, right? Uh, well, that's a bold statement. That? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, <laughs> uh, I, I did a podcast episode about it. It's a short one, but to, to sum it up, uh, I was on Sansom Street back in the 70s, and it was in a 99-cent bin. It was a man who sold the world on Mercury Records. Mm-hmm. And I picked it up, and you know, usually when you see a record in the 99-cent bin, it means it's some local artist that just never made it. But this was just early Bowie, and somehow it ended up in the 99 cent bin. And I was reading the lyrics on the back of the, you know, back of the, the, all the vinyl albums. A lot of times the lyrics were on the back. So I'm reading, I'm like, I got to hear this. A few years later, I was in Boston doing like a sandwich, sandwich sign thing, you know, where you walk up and down the street advertising local coffee houses and stuff. And some guy from, RCA Records comes, wanted to know if he could rent the sign front and back for this new artist that RCA just signed that was on Mercury. And I go, is the name David Bowie? And he just freaked out. I'm like, how do you know? That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I told I always, I always had an ear for talent. That, that, that was my mission in life. Like, I never became a rock star, Toby, but I always was able to spot one when I saw one. Well, maybe you should have tried A&Ring. Working for a record label, but then I'd be the man, and then you I would. Still, be the I like being around it, and I like the being in the trenches with it. So, th- I I'm happy doing what I've done. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, A and R is definitely a tough job. When you you know, I know people that you sign something and it doesn't work, and that's the end of that. So it's not yeah. exactly a walk in the park. Yeah, and well, there's a dark side to that too. A lot a lot of times, like. In the in the seventies and eighties, they, they they would sign a band just to put them on the shelf because because they sounded like too much like another one of their artists. Uh huh. And I, and I like I couldn't be a part of that machinery. Let's get back into your story. We know you're a violin player as well. Uh mm-hmm. huh. And is that was that your first instrument? 
It was. I started when I was six. And did you attack it on your own or did mom and dad say he got to, you know, got to practice till your fingers bleed or? No, nothing like that. I, my mom saw that I had rhythm and I guess a new music school opened up in our neighborhood and they were offering Suzuki training for strings. And so she took me and Suzuki method basically says to start early, you know, to have your ears still being developed, your pitch is still being developed. So you can be impressionable. I'm starting an instrument really young. And it's all about like hearing the right pitch, not having necessarily perfect pitch, but being able to hear what's right and what's wrong and doing scales and things like that. So I started, I think with a little makeshift cigar box that looked like a violin and went on to play all through college. So it was definitely a good thing for me. And it helped me teach myself how to play guitar. And when I sing, I... I, I'm surprised they didn't start you on guitar right away, just knowing you know, you're from a musical family and there was a lot of guitars and banjos. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody was really thinking about it like that. I think it was more just like they are having a violin class with six-year-olds. Do you want to be in it? Like I was in a class. It wasn't. How many others were in this class? I think it might have been like eight of us just based on pictures that I've seen. And it was and all violin? It wasn't like a violin, a cello? Uh, no, it was all violin. And we all, you know, played Mississippi Hot Dog. and <laughs> um, <laughs> My favorite song. It's a great song. Mississippi Hot Dog in the River. Um, but we we went on a, talent, a local talent show called the Al Alberts Show, which was like in Philadelphia. It was like a big star search type show. And we all played the same song. And that was kind of what my violin lessons were. I didn't even think about it. It was like, I play the violin and this is what I play. I didn't even question a different instrument. Although I always was in love with the cello. When I started playing in orchestras in elementary school, they allowed me to start in second grade, which I think you're supposed to start in fourth. Like I started earlier than most of the kids, probably because I had been taking lessons for a couple of years at that point. And when I saw the cello, I thought that was so cool. So I always tried to hold my violin and play it like a cello. But uh, if I you like watch. cello, um, I, I would recommend or suggest you check out Michael Ronstadt. Do you know who he is? No. Michael is Linda Ronstadt's nephew. Him and his brother have a duo, but he also plays as a solo act. And he's got this beautiful song on YouTube right now called The Foolish Fox. So if you get a chance, check out The Foolish Fox and check out Mikey Ronstadt. It's really, really good. Okay. And uh, I talked to him and Petey a couple uh, months ago. Who's Petey? Petey Ronstadt, uh, his brother. Oh, okay. That's cool. If you, I can't if, say I know much about cello cellists, but I do like the sound. Uh, they ha I think they have a great sound, and I think cellos work really good in like acoustic folk rock music. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of how to how to segue here toby because I, I want some good stories from you and i don't want it, this to be like every other conversation you've ever had on a podcast wanting to talk about touring stories yeah at the same time i'm not looking for like an expose you know i'm not tmz i, I want just <laughs> that's a hard question to ask somebody because just for food for thought most interviews want 
before. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah, they want that torrid background. And like that. <laughs> what? Yeah. And some of the some of your best stories that you've already told, but I mean, I I, I love the whole Prince story, but you know, you kind of how did that happen? <laughs> um, which part of it? Just how, like how did he discover you? Like where where did he find you? Well, from his mouth, he was watching Conan O'Brien. I was performing as a guest, and he saw and was really into the chord choices that I used and, and the song. And so he had his camp reach out to see if I wanted to open. And I was at the time I was touring with Gavin DeGraw and I had my band with me. I didn't believe this was something that was going to happen because a lot of opportunities come and then they disappear as quickly as they came because of whatever reason. Right. Here. Uh, you're breaking up again. Oh, this is killing me. And here's where I have to say, there was enormous cloud cover and precipitation from my studio in Pennsylvania and Toby's home in New York. The connection was very poor that day, but I didn't want to postpone. Maybe I should have. Anyway, we got disconnected three times, and each time I had to hit the record button again after we reconnected. I tried calling her, she tried calling me, and in the confusion, I forgot to hit the record button the third time, which was the longest part of the conversation. Toby went into great detail about the night she opened for Prince and hung out with him, and I didn't get three quarters of it. The good news is there will be a part two. Unfortunately, due to the coronavirus, many of her dates have been canceled. I was planning to see her show in New Hope, which, as I speak, is tomorrow night. The upside is maybe I'll get to talk to her sooner now. We'll see. The important thing is we all do what we have to do to stay healthy, which includes distancing ourselves from each other physically. Expect to see an upswing in virtual online concerts, including Toby Lightman. She's doing a free Facebook Live concert tonight as we speak at 8.30 Eastern Standard Time. Now, this is Friday, March 13th, 2020. So if you're hearing this afterward, you missed it. But you can get updates on the official Toby Lightman Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash Toby Lightman. Please like, share, and leave comments on the show notes page at talesoftheroadwarriors.com slash Toby dash Lightman. Oh man, don't kill me. I won't kill you, but I probably have to hang up soon. Okay, I think that covers it. Car's warmed up. Yeah, I'm going for a drive. Drive. Yeah, I'm for a drive.